Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Today, I want to bring us a wonderful conversation in scripture. Um, In the things that are of the completions of God. Our God is a God of completing things. He's not just a God who does things halfway. He's not a God who bakes things halfway. He's not a God who burns things halfway. He's a God who intends to do things and carry them to the end. And so when the Bible says, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, it means that the realm in which we have been invited, the realm of the Christ with which we live, with which we've been invited in this life of salvation, is a realm that seeks to establish us in a certain completion in God. And because he intends to invite you into a certain completion, nothing should want, nothing should miss, nothing should draw. God is a God of completion. God is a God of completing things. And because of that then, we expect and we must teach the body of Christ that whatever you go through, The end of that thing is not just to come out of a thing, but it is to complete you beyond the thing with which you've gone through. And some people don't know the way of God. You see, it's important to understand the mind of the Spirit. Because if the mind of the Spirit is not revealed to you, you cannot pray the right way. The mind of the Spirit is not revealed to you, you cannot worship the right way. You cannot give yourself the right way. You cannot yield the right way. You cannot trust the right way. It's firstly the entrance of that truth. And it's the truth that makes us free. There's many opinions about God. If you start hearing people talking about God, you'd be amazed about how everyone knows, thinks they know God. And that's the thin line between the deliverance of a true believer and those believers who have failed to come out of certain circumstances. So they're in perpetual trouble. Testations and challenges have not ceased. The Bible says you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You cannot be connected to the truth of God and you're not walking in freedom. The word of God is true. The word of God is true. And so tonight, I wanted to read for you a few scriptures to help build this story so you understand how to deal with God when you're praying and believing him for whatever's troubling you. In Jesus' mighty name. In First Peter, the second chapter, the ninth verse is a very common verse. He says, but ye are a chosen generation. He says, ye are a chosen generation. And he says, a royal priesthood. And he says, you are a holy nation. A peculiar people. Listen to that. You're a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a peculiar people. 
And he says that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now that's why I want to underline that. He called you out of one thing for you to get into another thing. He did not call you out of darkness and left you in neutral mode. No. He called you out of darkness, the Bible says, into his marvelous light. That is the way of the Spirit. He calls you out of one thing into another. He does not just call you out of one thing so for you, you'd stay in the neutral position and begin from there a new life and story. Uh-uh. He calls you out of one thing and he positions you into another. That's the God. I'll give you an example. You've heard of people who say, oh, I thank God that I had a very abusive marriage. My husband used to beat me and this happened and this happened and he cheated on me and all this happened. And I almost committed suicide. I was taken to hospital and all that is bad. Sorry. And then they say, but I thank God who got me out of that abusive relationship. Okay. So when he got you out of that abusive relationship, what did he take you into? Oh, you know, years ago, I used to do business. We used to run business with a group of people. And then we went into a certain covenant with a certain bank. And they gave us quite a lot of money. And uh, was heavily indebted. And uh, we struggled to pay that money. It was in the hundreds of millions or the billions of shillings. And we prayed for one year, two years, six years, ten years. Brethren, I want to thank God today that God got us out of debt, okay? When he got you out of debt, what did he take you into? Are you just now a surviving person with no debt, but have no plan and plot for your next step of life? That's the question. When you came out of one thing, what did you enter? When you left university, what did you enter? What did you do? What did you come into? Because we have people who say, oh, you know, we went through so much. My parents did a lot in educating us. Uh, money was not available always, but we had to believe and we survived by a miracle every day. But finally, we managed to graduate. So God took you through school and you graduated. What happened after you were taken through school? Did you get a job? Are you working? Why am I saying that? I have met people who tell you I graduated 10 years ago and I have never had a meaningful job. Five years ago, 15 years ago, and I've never had a meaningful job. So yes, why did they go to school? You see? He got you out of singlehood. Into what? Have you gotten the grace to settle down in marriage? Or you're in an endless cycle of relationships that never seek to lead you anywhere? I'm talking of a God who wants to complete your story. Shout hallelujah. That's the God I'm talking about. He just didn't want to take you out of one thing and then leave you there. That is not the God. He called us out of darkness, the Bible says, into his marvelous light. Into his marvelous light. I'll show you a few portions of scripture. In the book of Psalms 1843, this is a psalmist giving a testimony. The psalmist says, Thou, listen, has delivered me from the strivings of the people. And thou 
after he has gotten him out of the strivings of the people, he says, and thou has made me, listen, the head of the heathen are people whom I have not known shall serve me. Do you see that? There was a time the psalmist was in the strivings of people. What does God mean when he says you're in the strivings of people? Sometimes you can find yourself in a space in life where you are striving and fighting with men because you are in the same realm. You're equals in many ways. And so they can exert power over you. They can exert negative energy over you. They can frustrate you at your workplace. They can frustrate you in ministry because you're still in the same realm. But a time comes where God says, you know what? Let me deliver you from anything that has been striving with you. Let me deliver you from anything that has been fighting you. Let me deliver you from anything that has been frustrating you. But when he does, where does it take you to? The psalmist says, not only did God deliver him from the strivings of people, the Bible says he made him the head of the heathen. Hallelujah. He made him the head of the heathen. He says, let me take you out of them and actually put you so above them that they shall come to serve you. They which could strive with you now will come into the realm of serving you. That is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's showing that transition. He's saying, look, it is possible for you to strive with people because they think you're your equal. You're in school. And sometimes in class, you're going to be equal with some of those people. So sometimes you're at the workplace, wherever you are. And your clerks in an institution or your managers in an institution or your executives in an institution. And you sort of seem like you are on the same level. And when you get on the same level, striving start what? Coming through. And why? Because they feel they have the power and the energy to strive with you. You're in their league. You're in their league. They can twist your arm. They can underrate you. They can underestimate you. They can use whatever means they have to frustrate you. Because they know there is nothing that you can do with them. But when you are praying and say, God, get me out of this. God is not interested in simply stopping them from striving with you. God is interested in putting you above them. That not only will they cease to strive with you. But that they will break under your hand to serve you. That is possible with God. He is not the God, I repeat, who gets you out of one thing to lead you into a neutral space. He wants to take you to a better place. Look at our patriarch, Abraham. He tells him, leave your kindred. Leave your family. Leave your people. Get out of your father's house. And he says, I will take you to a land that I will show you. He's not telling him, walk aimlessly. No, no. He's telling him, I'm bringing you out of your father's household. I'm bringing you out of your country. I'm separating you from your kindred because I want to show you a particular land. I'm bringing you out of something to take you into something. Some people don't know how to wait on God to take them. Some people even resist the process of their deliverance because they're being separated from the things that they're so used to. I'll give you an example. The scriptures tell us that the children of Israel, after they had crossed from Egypt, going in through the wilderness into the promised land. The scripture tells us that through the way of the Philistine, it was a shorter journey. Or, you know, Bible scholars usually say about 14 days or so. But the Bible says, but they camped around Mount Seir, the habitation of the Edomites, the children of Esau. 
And the Bible says they camped around Mount Seir many days. When you read the scriptures, you realize they count around that mountain about 38 years of the 40 years of their walking. They got comfortable with the trees that gave them shade. They got comfortable with the food that the land brought for them. They got comfortable with the tents that they had built. These were people on a journey. But when you're coming a long way of bondage, sometimes you no longer know how to test true freedom. Or you do not understand how good freedom can feel like. Because when you are in the deepest sense of bondage, even the wilderness, even the wilderness can look like a freedom. But God is saying, I did not get you out of Egypt for you to die in the wilderness. That's the thing about the children of Israel. They've started rebelling against Moses already. Did God get us from Egypt to kill us? You see? Because that's their mentality. That's how human beings think. They don't know the way of the spirit. God gets them from Egypt through the wilderness, because he has a promised land understanding and destiny for them. But here they are stuck 38 years in one place because they have no drive for greatness. They are comfortable just coming out of Egypt. In fact, some at first they were not even comfortable. They wanted to go back for the watermelons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But by the grace of God, God helps them to understand that the freedom, their liberty was bigger than food. But that's how fight had gone. There are people who are right now in what I will call wilderness, neutral position. And all they can point to as a testimony is they always look back at how God got them out of that thing. How the waters parted for them to cross the other side where they're no longer under any threat or terror. And they think that that is where God has wanted them to be only. Yet for all of us, it's just the beginning of the journey into the promised land because that is the way of the Spirit. I'm provoking the person who without knowing has actually settled in the wilderness because you can have food and you're not under the sliver of any man. Yet you're still not in the perfect will of God concerning your life. Yes, it's true, you survived that bad job. But the job you're in is not even the job you're supposed to be in. God has a bigger plan for you. He has a bigger purpose for you. But your eyes are not yet open to understand that. Yes, the relationship you are in was bad. Some of you have even settled for less in your next relationship. Because you don't think that you deserve better. I've seen people like that. Some of them as a pastor, I tell them, look, it doesn't matter whether you went through the worst. You must believe God for the best ahead of you. Oh no, I messed up. We messed up. We did all this. Yes. And so anything that comes, anything apostle, anything that comes, I'll settle with. And I tell no, 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 no. You're not supposed to settle with anything. God has a plan of what he wants to take you into. But are you ready to settle for what God is about to take you into? Or you're saying, ah, you know, let me go with what's available. Some people have settled for the wrong businesses. They've settled for the wrong consultations. They've settled for the wrong careers. They've settled for the wrong ministries. Oh, I was treated badly. And then let me go here. But even where they're going, they're not even supposed to be there. Because it's still less of the place God wants to take them into. And that is why I tell people, design your times and your periods. Design your days. The Bible says, teach us to number our days that we might apply our hearts unto your wisdom. Know when God is taking you out of something. Because when you design that God is taking you out of something, always put your face down and ask him, what are you taking me into? Some of you, you have been working in jobs for years. And you're starting to feel that there is no grace anymore. For that job. 
Some of you have been running businesses for quite a long time. And you're starting to feel like there's no more grace for that business. Some of you have been pushing agendas. And you feel that those agendas have now come to a certain crossroad. Some of you, you had a certain verge in your life as a minister. It's not that you've stopped serving God or you're tired. But you feel that the grace of one place in ministry is over. And you feel that you're embracing the next level of your ministry. But are you just going to passively wait on God to just throw you uh, wherever he will without the designing of what he wants to do wherever he throws you? Because you might still stay indifferent to why he's throwing you wherever he's throwing you. Or you might actually get on the journey of it and get stuck in the space where you think he has thrown you. Yet his hand is still inviting you to higher realms of ministry. And so that's why I tell people that every time you design that something is moving in your spirit, in your life, for a certain direction, ask God, where are you taking me into? Am I prepared for where you're taking me into? Can you speak to me very clearly on what I'm entering? Because when you learn to do that, you'll be amazed at the wideness of the spaces God wants you to take you into. You'll be amazed at the widening of the tents that God wants to make for you. But you must understand this way of the spirit. In the book of Acts, the 26th chapter, from about the 16th verse, now we're talking about Paul. Paul is being commissioned for the work of ministry. So he's testifying what happens when the minister of God appears to him. And in the 16th verse, Ananias is telling him, Arise and stand upon thy feet. God is telling him, For I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of those things which thou hast seen, and of those things in which I will appear unto thee. And then he tells Paul, delivering thee, listen, from the people and from the Gentiles whom I send to thee or I send thee. You see, firstly, I'm going to deliver you from the people and from the Gentiles and to whom now I send thee. In other words, I'm going to make sure that they're not going to be able to harm you. I'm going to make sure that you'll be above them and that they will not have any negative consequence on you. He says, not only am I delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles and to whom now I send thee. But he says, but also to open their eyes. He says, you're not just going to be delivered from them. But you're sent to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. And listen, from the power of Satan and unto God, that they might receive the forgiveness of sins and an inheritance amongst them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. You see, again, even the people God is dealing with when he's sending Paul to them, he's saying, I want to open their eyes that they will turn not only from darkness, but that they'll get into light and that they'll turn from the power of Satan and unto God, and that they might receive the forgiveness of sins and their inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. That's just the way of God. He takes you out of one thing into another. He takes you out of one thing into another. He takes you out of one realm of darkness into another. What are you entering into? Oh, thank God that I got healed of this. Yes, but what have you entered into? Are you still going to be a perpetual carrier of sickness? Or have you entered divine health? Have you come out of struggling financially? Or have you 
entered divine provision. Have you just come out of perpetual stupidity? Or have you entered eternal wisdom? Are you a complete factor in this conversation? Are you completed in the realm of this place called God? Or you just came out of something? And now you're settled that you have come out of something. Thank God you came out of that thing. Thank God you were delivered from that thing. But he wants to take you into something bigger than the spaces you came out of. He wants to take you into a realm higher than the realm that you've been fighting within and the things that you've been striving with. The Bible speaks of, for example, Romans, the seventh chapter. When we're talking about the deliverance of the new creation, he says, but now we are delivered from the law that being dead wherein we were held, Again, what's the end of the other thing? He says that we should serve in the newness of spirit and not in the oldness of letter. You see? Again, you don't say, I'm dead to the law. So what are you alive unto? You're dead to the law. God has taken away the law. Oh, yes. I'm not under the law. Is that it? And that's why many people get the doctrine wrong. The grace doctrine wrong. When they say, I'm under no condemnation. God has imputed righteousness on me. Is that all? So does that mean that you can do anything that you want when you want it because God has imputed righteousness on you? Because now there is no condemnation on you in Christ for the love of the life-giving spirit has set you free from the law of sin and death. Are you going to continue to do evil? So good should come because you're not under the law. Look at the duality of this. I've talked about the duality of things. He's saying that I have killed you from the law, being dead therein as you were held, and where is it taking you into? that you should serve in the newness of the Spirit. In the newness of the Spirit. And not in the oldness of the letter. What does it mean to serve in the newness of the Spirit? He's saying now, as you were serving under the law, this was rules and regulations set before you to do, and reward or punishment was against in what you did or what you didn't do. And now I have killed you from that, I've invited you into a new life where I have put my spirit in you and the newness of this realm and dispensation, Paul calls it the dispensation of grace. So it even goes beyond a doctrine. Some people just think grace is a doctrine. No. Paul says, ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given to me toward you. So this is not just a doctrine of righteousness imputed through faith. This is a dispensation. This is a realm with which we have been invited into by the newness of the covenant. I don't understand how a man in this dispensation can preach the law. How does that even work with them? How do they do it? How is it possible that you do the law? We are in a dispensation. We are in a period of time of the grace that should be given. The Bible speaks in Peter how the prophets of old searched out diligently of this salvation and they inquired who prophesied. They prophesied of the grace that should come to you. And the Bible says, and they were searching what, oh, what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow after. And to whom it was revealed 
that not unto them, but unto us, they did preach these things. And the Bible says, and of these things, even the angelics desire to look into. Angels want to look into this mystery because much as they live in heaven, God does not live in them. He lives in us. He lives in us, praise God. Now, he's saying, the prophets of old also saw the grace which should come. They knew that there was a dispensation of grace that was going to come. And why I'm using this in the most generic form is, some people ask themselves, why do we say we are a grace ministry? Because it is the dispensation with which the new covenant has been entrusted with. It's the dispensation with which the new birth has been given a relationship to deal with God. We cannot deal with God anywhere beyond the grace that is available in this dispensation. But So how are we dealing with it? Do we understand it? Do we teach it? Do we preach it? Do we ride with it? Are we carried by it? Do we have the true interpretation and understanding of this thing? Because much as I started of what God is taking you out of in, into what you're entering, let us go now to the bigger picture of what the church came out from. We came out from the law. The Bible says that with the law, no flesh shall be justified. We came out of a realm where no flesh could be justified before God. And now we enter the dispensation where we carry justification, which is only through faith. He speaks of the righteousness of God, which is by the faith of Jesus Christ and to all and upon all that believe, for there is no difference for they have all sinned and come short of the glory of God, but they have been justified freely through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. That's the realm we entered. That's the realm we were given. It's a realm that we don't stand before God and know of our own righteousness. No. We stand before God and behold his own righteousness. And his righteousness is accountable for our peace and prosperity. And that is how I know that you have peace. So when we talk about the chastisement of our peace being upon him, he was trying to earn something for you that you could never do in your own body because your body had even failed to find peace in its own. To be aligned to the will of God, you could not even obey the Ten Commandments. Ten only. How about if you had more? So we're translated from darkness into his marvelous light. But most importantly, we were taken from one dispensation of glory into another dispensation of glory. That dispensation of glory is the beginning of our wisdom. That dispensation of glory is the beginning of our strength. That dispensation of glory is the definition of our faith. That dispensation of glory is the definer of our ministry. It is the justification of our lives. It's all we have. It's all we have. It's all we have. Now, if the prophets of old look at 2020 and they admire you, how come many believers are not even living better than Old Testament people in the covenant that they were? He has given you the two differences. He says there's a ministry of the law and the letter called it the ministry of condemnation. And he says that ministry of condemnation had a certain glory and splendor. 
If you read 2 Corinthians the third, uh, chapter 7, read the Amplified. He says, now, if the dispensation of death engraved in letters of stone, the ministration of the law was inaugurated with such a glory and splendor that Israelites were not able to look steadily at the face of Moses because of his brilliance, a glory that was to fade, passed away. Why should not the dispensation of the Spirit, again, the dispensation of the Spirit is the dispensation of grace. He says, that is the spiritual ministry. Listen to what the Amplified says. Whose task is to cause men to obtain and be governed by the Holy Spirit, how can it not be attended with much greater and more splendid glory? Listen to what this dispensation task has. The dispensation of this task is to cause you to obtain and be governed by the Holy Spirit. That's the newness of spirit. The message version says the government of death, its constitution on stone tablets, had a dazzling inaugural. And it says, and Moses' face as he delivered the tablets was so bright that day, even though it would fade soon, that the people of Israel could not look right at him. But the Bible says, but how much, listen, yes, more dazzling than the government of the living spirit? How much more glorious? Oh, I wish somebody gets it. How much more glorious are we supposed to live? How much more stronger are we supposed to be? How much richer are we supposed to be? How much healthier are we supposed to be? How much wiser are we supposed to be? How great a ministry are we supposed to do? Because we have now entered the newness of the Spirit. We're under a new covenant. But many believers are still dealing with God as though they are in the old letter. Do you know what God has done for you? When Jesus died and was raised from the dead, it was the guarantee that everything you have believed God for, now you should have in higher dimensions. It was the guarantee that everything he had promised for man, you will be the most improved version of humanity. You're the greatest version of humanity that has ever existed. What a glory. You're better than David. You're better than Solomon. Because one which is wiser is come. You're better than the first Adam. You're better. You are a better breed. That's why he says you are a chosen generation. That is why he says you are a royal priesthood. That is why he says you are a holy nation. But he said a peculiar people, not a usual people. Not like the people of old. You can say, ah, you know, we're like everyone else. No. We are peculiar. Peculiar means we are strange compared to the breed that has existed this face of the earth before. That is why he says that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. And behold, the old is past and now the new and all things are become of God. Can you just imagine what it means to be new? Can you just think for a moment what it means to be a new creation? A new creation. He says you're a new creature. He could not give you a certain name, a complete name. And then in defining that life for you, he told you old things are past. Old things are past. Your family old ties are past. Your generational curses are past. Your family genes of inheriting diabetes are past. Your past stories of asthma are past. Your inherited stories of sickle cells are gone. And now it tells you now all 
things are become new. Who are you? Who are you, O son of God? Who are you, O woman of God? You're bigger than what you see. You're bigger than what you see. You must understand what you came out from to become this new creation, of course. Probably you didn't feel the change in your body immediately. You still had the same face. You still had the same nose. You still had the same eyes. And you say, ah, I don't see so much change. It is because nobody has taken time to help you understand. Or you have actually not taken time to attend, to understand with deliberate focus what this word speaks about you after the new birth. After the new birth. And that's the confidence that we have toward him. That we can refuse to be sick. That we can refuse to be weak. That we can refuse to be poor. That we can refuse to falter. That we can refuse to fail. That we can refuse to draw back. That we can refuse to accept anything that is contrary to the seed of greatness with which he has placed into our spirits. So Paul says, nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. That is why the Bible says that greater is he which is in us than he that is in the world. You little children, he says, you have overcome them because greater is he which is in you than he that is in the world. That is the spirit. Thanks be to God who always causes us to always 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 the bible says causes us to triumph in christ and make it manifest the suffer of his knowledge by us in every place that is the destiny of what you entered into that's the triumph that you have in christ jesus that's the thing that sustains you to know that it doesn't matter what you go through you will triumph it doesn't matter what you go through you win it ain't matter what you go through. You are victorious. And you've got to believe it. You've got to read it. You've got to say it. You've got to practice it. You've got to repeat it a thousand times if you have to. But it has to sit into your spirit and get so convinced in your soul that I was not called for failure. I was not called for death. I was not called for weakness. I was not called for regression. I was called for progress. I was called for glory. Has called for wisdom, has called for power, has called for victory, has called for an overcomer. So I say, brethren, in these light afflictions, which are but for a moment, they cannot be compared. They are for a moment. He has put an expired debt on them, he has put a temporary clause. Of anything that you're going through. It doesn't matter how bad it is. It has a temporary clause. The clause in the scripture is temporary. He called it a light affliction. Which is but for a moment. He says it's worketh for you. A far more exceeding. And eternal weight of glory. Hallelujah. And he says while we look not. At the things which are seen. That means you're not of the sensual perceptions. You're not of the feelings. You're not a woman of the feelings. You're not a man of the feelings. You're not a woman of the feelings. No. He says, but the things which are not seen. 
You're a man or a woman of the things that are not seen. You carry an eternal vision of the Godhead. You know who is in you and who is working in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. He says, for the things that you see or can see, they are temporary. Again, he has given them a temporary clause. They are temporary. Whatever you're going through and is contrary to that new creation, it is temporary. I don't care whether the doctor has a permanent clause on it, that's a man. I don't care if the government has a permanent clause of it, that's a man. I don't care if the situations and circumstantial evidences have permanent clauses on them. God has put a temporal clause on whatever you're going through. And he says the things which are seen are temporal. But he says, but the things which are not seen, they are eternal. And he says, for which cause? We faint not. That's the reason why we don't give up. We don't give up. We don't give up. We don't look back and, no, 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 no. It's not in our language. It's not in our character. It's not in our way. It's not in our vision. It's not in our expression. It's not in our nature. It's not in our thought life. It's not in our meditation. It's not in our pulse. It's not in our vibrations. It's not in our waves. It's not in our frequency. We don't faint. He says, but though the outward man may preach, the inward man is renewed daily. And it's that inner man, the Bible says, that you by the spirit kill the transactions of the outer man, of the flesh. And the Bible says, and that's how you live. But if you live by the flesh, you surely die. Do you know what that means? It means if you live by what is happening. Oh, I don't have a job. And that's what you have in your head. You will die, poor person. Oh, my ministry cannot move on. Your ministry will stuck. Will stuck up. Oh, my business can't move. Oh, this season of COVID, I don't think I can do business. Oh, you think all you want. There are people who are becoming more successful in this period. There are people who are becoming richer in this period. There are people who are becoming stronger in the same period when you're about to give up because you don't know that it got you out of one thing to take you into a bigger space. He got you out of one challenge to take you into a bigger place. You must believe that. You must believe that. You must tell yourself that I came out of this to enter this. I'm coming out of this to enter this. And sometimes you have to read the word so keenly. Because some of the things that you want to enter, already the Bible has given you clues. Did you not say that kings shall come to my rising? Did you not say that strangers shall come to my light? Did you not say that Gentiles will serve me? And so even as I am coming out of this job, kings are coming. As I'm coming out of this job, Job, Gentiles are coming to my light. Even them coming out of this thing, strangers are coming. You understand? Did you not say that I shall be the head and not the tail? That I shall go be above and not beneath? Did you not say that if I hearken to your commandments, you shall observe to put me up there? I thank you because I'm coming out of rent to get into a space where I'm going to become a landlord. Not just a place of having your own house in the mighty name of Jesus. I am coming out of this teaching job to to own a school. I'm coming out of this bank to own a bank. I'm coming out of this ministry to start a ministry. That is the way of the spirit. That is the way of the spirit. That is the way of the spirit. If you're coming out of one business, may God give you yours in the mighty name of Jesus. Why not? Why not? If you're a teacher in a school, 
What do you think it takes for God to give you your own school? If you're working in an NGO, what makes you think that God doesn't want to give your own? No, read the way of God. He says, for if you're not faithful in another man's, the Bible doesn't say, who will not give you a new job? No. He says, for if you've not been found faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? That means the mind of God is to give you your own. <laughs> oh, glory to God. Oh, glory to God. He says, if you've not been faithful in that which is another man's, Luke 16, 12, who shall give you your own? Meaning, we are faithful in the small to be given our own. To be given our own. That is why every tree becomes a forest. Glory to God. Scripturally, every tree becomes a forest. It says, the least among them shall raise a thousand. A small one, a nation. A strong nation. One of the greatest among them. He'll shake the world. Because that's just the way of the Spirit. That's just the way of the Spirit. What have you come out of? And what are you entering? And because of what you're entering, how are you preparing yourself to enter what God has promised you? The Bible says that he shall open up for you into a wider space, into a wider grace. God wants to expand things for you. God wants you to enter something so big, so big. When Jesus was going to the cross, when he suffered at the cross, they did not have a clue what this man was going to purchase. <laughs> they did not have a clue. The Bible says had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. That means if Satan knew that by crucifying Jesus, he would bring many sons to glory, he would at least say, let me deal with one. <laughs> He'd say, no, no, no. There's already enough trouble with this fellow. But he thought that by bearing the Christ, he was going to kill the testimony of God on the earth. But the Bible says, for it became of him who are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory and to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. What Satan did not know, that the one man he was going to kill was going to come back in millions and billions. Hallelujah, glory to God. There is nothing Satan is doing to you. And it has no multiplication effect for you. There is nothing Satan can do to you that God is not able to recompense and multiply and increase even multiple times more than what he could ever take. There is nothing Satan can do to you that God has not made a plan to overwhelm him with multiplication. Everything he kills, God multiplies. The Bible says the more they were afflicted, the more they multiplied. The more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And the Bible says, and they are grieved because of the children of Israel. Why? Because the more we kill them, the more they reproduce. The more we destroy them, the more they become bigger. The more they frustrate you at work, the more God promotes you. The more they disturb you, the more God positions you for your next level. The more they persecute you, the more you become more. That is the way of the Spirit. So, some people say, oh, you'll receive double for your trouble. That's nonsense. That's nonsense. 
There's nowhere in scripture where God is speaking about double for your trouble. The only scriptural reference of double anointing is actually, if you read in the book of Deuteronomy, that was the firstborn anointing. It is not the inheritance of the believer. The believer is not limited to double for your trouble. Because some of them, I think, when they hear the rhymes, the semantics rhyming, right, that means that it is revelation. That ain't revelation. No. The double portion in the Deuteronomy book was the inheritance of the firstborn. Even the double portion that Elijah receives from Elijah is double because he came first in the order of them which served Elisha. That's what they call a double portion. But when we're talking about the retribution of the believer, when we're talking about the redemption of the believer, we don't talk about double. We talk about Houses you cannot build, neither calculate. We're talking about vineyards you've not planted, but there are no numbers. We are talking about exceedingly, abundantly, above that which you dare to ask. You dare to ask for a double. No, that which you dare to ask or think according to the working power which worketh in you. The Amplified says, infinitely beyond your highest prayers, desires, thoughts, hopes, or dreams. Even above your dreams. He says, I am willing to do it to you. So don't limit God for double the trouble. No, I am believing that God is taking me, the Bible says, into a wealthier place. Wealthier, not survival place. No, wealthier place. Wealthier place. Whatever you've gone through, you're going to enter a better realm. Whatever you've gone through, God is going to multiply all the sorrow. And now I'm starting to prophesy because I feel the spirit of God is here and he's starting to create. He's starting to create. He's starting to create. He's starting to create. The Bible says thou hast caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. But it says, but thou broughtest us out into a wealthy place that whatever you've gone through, God wants to take you to a better space. And now I decree and I declare in the mighty name of Jesus. Raise your voice right now. I want to decree upon your life in the name of Jesus Christ. That whatever you have gone through, our God is going to release something on your life. That is going to multiply every pain that you've gone through into grace. It's going to multiply every sorrow that you've gone through into glory. It's going to triple. It's going to quadruple. It's going to have hundreds and hundreds of folds for every trouble that you have gone through, for every pain that you have gone through, for every setback that you have gone through, for every frustration that you have gone through, for every regression that you have gone through, for every testation you have gone through, for every war you have gone through, for everything you have battled with, for every striving you have undergone, for every persecution you have had, for every hatred and rejection that had surrounded your story, for every drawback in the mighty name of Jesus. God is shifting winds He's shaking tectonic plates for your good. All things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. I decree and I declare that your family is rebuilt. Your family is restored. Your family is redeemed. Your family is blessed. I decree and I declare that the strength of the Lord is with you in your caring, in your going, in your coming back. That you're blessed going in. That you're blessed going out. I decree and I declare whatever you enter shall not be compared to what you've gone through. It shall not be a repay. It shall be a multi, multi reward in the mighty name of Jesus. 
What the enemy aimed for bad, you're going to turn to good in the name of Jesus. What was supposed to draw you back is going to throw you ahead. It's going to catapult you to the next level and place of your ministry. What was meant to kill you is going to give you life. What was meant to weaken you, it's going to strengthen you. What was meant to blind you, is going to give you sight. What was meant to deafen your ear, is going to make you more precise in your hearing. What was meant to break your heart, is going to strengthen it and mend it more. In the name of Jesus, what the enemy has aimed for bad, my God has turned to good. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord shall come up with a standard against him with a standard against him and may you go beyond your limitations of job may you go beyond your limitations of age may you go beyond your limitations of exposure may you go beyond your limitations of education may you go beyond your limitations may you go beyond anything anybody has ever limited you of some say you'll never go beyond this you will never do this you could never go through this you can never win this you can never defeat that she can never go beyond that i have silenced all of those voices i have silenced all those confessions I've silenced all of those words in the mighty name of Jesus. I decree and I declare that you will make it. You will go through it. You will break through. You will overcome. You will overtake. You will conquer. You will triumph in the mighty name of Jesus. The hand of the Lord is on your life and nothing shall slow you. Now give the Lord a mighty hand clap of praise. Give the Lord a mighty hand clap of praise. Tell him I thank you. Because it is finished. I thank you. Because it is done. Come on, take time and receive it. Take time and receive it. Take time and receive it. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you. Come on, thank him. Come on, thank him. Clap your hands to Jesus. Thank him. Thank him. Thank him. Thank him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. It is mine. It is mine. It is mine. It is mine. Thank you, Lord. This is my portion. This is my destiny. I come out of one thing. I enter into better. I enter into greater. I enter into bigger. I enter into much. I enter into wealthier. I enter into stronger. I enter into wiser. I enter into glorious. In the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Oh, I'm excited. I'm excited. If you've never given your life to Christ, I want to give you an opportunity to receive him. He shed his blood for you. He died that you might live. That's the mystery of this story. And I want to allow you to receive him in your heart as your pastor, Lord and Savior. And if you will with me, you'll say these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you because you died for my sins and was raised for my glory. Tell him today, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I'm born again. Amen. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. 
For more information, contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at funerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.funero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero. Make manifest. <laughs>